This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show, where we talk art. Welcome to Where We Talk Art. This is your host, Victor Gartner. Today, we have as our guest a talented artist and teacher who is married to one of my favorite artists, Barry Thorne. We will begin our talk right after this very brief message. This is Partnership for the Arts. Come join us as we explore the world of art. You can find us on our Facebook page at Partnership for the Arts Group Talk Show. Or you can find us on our new website at pftatalkshow.org. PFTA Talk Show is recorded at the Visual Arts Center in Punta Gorda, Florida. We are back. Our guest did lots of traveling when she was growing up. And she loved to draw and take art classes. And our guest is an accomplished painter and a very skilled teacher to children and adults. Claire Harvey, welcome to Where We Talk Art. Thank you. Happy to be here. Me too. You know, you're a key person here at the Northport Art Center. Tell us, what, what do you do here? A little bit of everything. And the most important thing is that I'm here. That makes the big difference. That could mean I answer the phones or put fresh toilet paper in the bathroom. Everything. <laughs> Literally wow. everything. But I guess I would say that I direct the youth department, which is rather developed here at the Northport Art Center. We play very, I like to think, an integral part, makeup of the Northport Art Center. Northport Art Center is a community art center for everyone. Yes. And... So as the youth director, I um, find ways to reach all different kinds of young people, whether it's maybe at the Lotus Centers uh, for young children with autism. Mm -hmm. We send a representative there. Or um, homeschool children, after school, pottery. And right now we're going through art camp. Oh, yes, because school's out for the for the for year, the I summer, believe. For the summer, and the whole art center turns into a hustle and bustle of learning young individuals. And they're having fun, but I'd like to think that they're learning in time. I'm sure they are. Well, just 15 minutes ago, this place was buzzing with young people. So this was one of the sessions that occurred this morning. Um, Monday through Friday, 9 to 1. Children bring a sack lunch, they have a lesson, we break for lunch, then they have another lesson. Mm -hmm. And then we send them home. Kind of like grandparents. Yes. yes. <laughs> a lot of grandparents are dropping their children out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, the Art Center wasn't always involved in doing programs for children. It was really adult-oriented. So mm -hmm. how did this program for children get started? Well, when we first got this building... Um, you know, it took a while to get people into the building. So summer times were really slow here at the very beginning. And um, I suggested having some youth art classes, which they, you know, agreed to. They weren't quite sure about it. I hadn't envisioned it at the time. And found there was a great need in this area. We all were unprepared for the enrollment. I mean, we just started filling up very quickly. At no the time, kidding. I think it was maybe a two-week program. If not, it was only a four-week program at the time, and it filled up. And then it would grow each time exponentially. 
There have been a couple of summers, at least one, where we actually were able to have um, 10 weeks because of where 4th of July fell and when school started and stopped right. and everything. So we fit, And we were able to keep our chairs full, for the most part, at least. That's wonderful. Let's let's go back in history a little bit to your childhood because I want our listeners to get to know a bit about who you are. So, when you were a kid growing up with your family, where were you? Uh, we were all over the place. My father and mother had decided before even having a family that they the things that were important to them were education and travel. Oh. And so that had always been a priority of theirs. So whenever. My father had an opportunity. He would switch gears in his employment and would take us to another place. So um, I often say to my young students, by the time I was entering high school, I had been to eight different schools. And I have been homeschooled. I went to an inner city school. I've been to a two-room schoolhouse. I've been to a girls' school. <laughs> and... Um, it was very helpful to me, I think. It, it did a number on my education, but I think I probably would have struggled regardless. And But what it taught me was that we are responsible for our own education. You can't mm. expect someone else to make you absorb information or be interested in learning. They can't entertain you with their education. You have to find a way to be interested enough to learn. Well, as, as a young person, let's say early elementary school age, what, what kinds of things did parents do to uh, help you with this education? Oh, about? they were so supportive. They let me paint on basement walls. Um, my father let me make a comic strip for his workplace. You know, they just were always encouraging me to keep busy. And so we traveled a lot, and... During the early 60s, we lived in Afghanistan for three years. Okay. Yeah. And um, his, my father's job there was working for Shah Zayir, the Shah, and to orchestrate and form a cadastral surveying college. Because as of yet, they did not have accurate census and record keeping and just they want and they were going through their own revolution of modernizing at that time believe it mm -hmm. or not and uh, so they were very progressive briefly it's not like that anymore but it was and uh so while i was there i think it was very stimulating as a child a lot of sights and sounds and different kinds of people and music. New scents and foods. Yeah. And so I I digested this lifestyle with artwork. It was my babysitter too, but I was I processed things through artwork. Read somewhere, I think it was your bio as a matter of fact, that said that you at the age of eight decided you want to be an artist because of two things that you had seen in your travels. The Mona Lisa and the Sistine Chapel. And that was just to name the most predominant. But all through Europe, it, it taught me that culture, art and culture, is what records our lives. That's the proof that we even existed. Without art and culture, what is there? Just buildings, undescriptive buildings. But art and culture all of a sudden turns buildings and cities into unique individual visual feasts and um, 
my mother also, that became part of the education because at that point I was homeschooled while we were in route. And so I remember learning about Greek mythology and I would have to hear my mother's story and then I'd draw out what it was and or draw things we saw, drawings of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's a great way to learn. I think we'd say so. Like I look at some nieces and nephews and I see how busy they are doing things all of the time. And when I was a kid, my mother would always say, you're allowed to do one thing. <laughs> what is that one thing going to be? And for me, that was learning to play guitar. All right. So, so that was a good thing for me. Uh, I wish I was more serious about it. So I would wound up being a much better guitar player than I am. And for you, what, what kinds of opportunities you had to travel, uh, you had home education, you did art. Was there any um, sports? Was there any music? Was there any performance? Um, music. Um, I took piano lessons, would not do the lessons, mm -hmm. but um, I didn't like reading music. So I do play the guitar and play piano, but I don't like reading music. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but Claire Oppenheimer, my music teacher, told my parents they were wasting their money on me. <laughs> And um, but just to show how I thought differently about it is on our piano, I rung up some strings underneath the piano keys that I could hook my toes into to play the chords while I played <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde, the theme to that. So it wasn't like I wasn't interested in music. I was just a difficult student. I, I think you were thinking out of the box. I think that's wonderful. All right. You had formal education in art besides, you know, doing your own mm -hmm. art thing as a child growing up. So what, what was that like? I did not want to go to college. I wanted to be an artist, mm -hmm. much to my parents' frustration, because yes. we live right next to a two-year college. And uh, the interesting thing about this, this was Lord's University, but it had been a nunnery very previously, mm -hmm. where they taught nuns to be a nurse. Is that where the Lord's... Name came from? Yes. Yes. And they I finally pursued, and I started to attend there for the two-year to get my associates. And those nuns were amazing. They were just so devoted to their teaching because they didn't have the distraction of family, I suppose. Mm. And they were very encouraging. And I used to say I, I daydreamed out stained glass windows. They were very artfully encouraged, gave me a one-man show and things like that, went wow. over backwards for oh, me. Nice. And so then after that, I went to the University of Toledo, mm -hmm. and their art department was, I don't know if it was lacking, it was just different, because it was near the Toledo Museum, so they just sent me over to the museum, and I took courses on restoration, glass mm. blowing, anatomy, human anatomy, their programs were either going to teaching or advertising. That was the two choices. And my art teachers, before I'd always say, Claire, whatever you do, don't teach. You won't have time to make art. Hmm. And so I, I knew I didn't want to teach, <laughs> and I knew I didn't want to go into advertising. So I just took everything that they had available, right. taking all these different kinds of art courses, and then... <laughs> well, it's interesting that you, you bring that up, because... So many of the artists that I have interviewed so far have said that once they got married, they had children, 
painting and the drawing and the sculpting or whatever it is that they were, were doing really kind of disappeared for a long time. Is that true for you also? Actually, although I felt frustrated because you know, I had to be employed, you know, mm-hmm. and I had to make money. but Real job. Yeah, a real job. <laughs> but ironically, my then husband lived in a small town near Chicago. Mm-hmm. I always compared it to me very RFD. I think it has maybe a couple red lights now. And um, it's, it's easier to be a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Those people took me under their wing and, you know, showed an interest in having artwork done by me. So um, I would enter like the festivals or parades, and and I remember um, having a little business card saying portraits from photographs. And so they'd bring me their photograph of their grandson in his baseball uniform, and I'd paint a picture of that to the point that I would have a reputation. It was sort of like, did you get a portrait done by Claire Harvey yet? Right. So that really is because of that small town that just boasted me along because I did, had no idea how to become an artist. Well, you were becoming an yeah. artist. Yeah. <laughs> so many people think or dream about being in a position where people call them and want them to do commissioned work, such as you know, the portraits mm-hmm. of the family or the pictures of their house, their deceased yeah. dogs or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Right? But a lot of people that never happens and there was people were knocking on your door mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's good I mentioned earlier that your husband Barry is one of my favorite <laughs> artists so how did you and Barry meet? He came to a Artful Bowls, a fundraiser that we had mm-hmm. and he had called the Art Center to ask about what was going on. He um, was visiting his mother up in Zephyr Hills and Kate was visiting down in the Ringling area because he's got sort of a personal story about Ringling. There's always was a family rumor that his grandfather was related to a famous circus, probably a, a scandalous story <laughs> that got buried. So anyway, that's why he was in this area and um, came to Artful Bowls. And uh, he stood out to me because... He showed up at this event where people were working in pottery. You know, that's kind of messy. Wearing white. Mm. He was dressed in white, you know. Now that he's become a more active painter and artist, you're not going to see him in white. But at the time... <laughs> <laughs> he didn't end up in white. No. Or at least look like a Dalmatian, maybe, when he's <laughs> finished. But he's always been prone to wear clothing to um, express himself. He stands out in the crowd. And then he wonders why he gets picked out of the crowd to get up on a stage or something. And I go, you stand out in the crowd? Of course, that's why you get picked. <laughs> yes. Yes. The first time I, I saw Barry, he was emceeing, I think, an art show here. And he was wearing a cape and a top hat. <laughs> yeah. That's probably when he was in the Nutcracker Ballet. Do you think oh, that was true? Maybe. I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I watched you on YouTube, a video that was made in 2010, yeah, yeah, a, yeah, a few years ago, mm-hmm. right? And you were being interviewed at the Lakewood Ranch Art yeah. Show. And on the video, you said that you were a member of the Magnificent Seven. I'm very curious. Oh, that was a group of us artists yeah. here at the Art Center. Here I, at Northport Art Center? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And 
I am not really sure who that was because there was an art exhibit going on there at the plantation. And I'm tempted to say it would have been Carol Nagel's, probably Kit Moran, Ron Sanders, probably. All those big mm -hmm. artists, Ron Sanders mm -hmm. and Kit Moran. Yeah. I could be wrong. Uh, it seems to be my memory of who all was hanging out there. It was sort of a um, title for an art exhibit to, to bring in the crowd, which I did. And we had a, a television interview at the same time. So all of you had had that an like exhibit there going on there at interview. the plantation. Yeah. Okay. Were there anybody else besides the Magnificent Seven, or was it just? It was just us seven exhibiting there, and um, the gallery area. They did an excellent job of just promoting it and bringing in the crowd of people there. So that's how. Good. That's really nice to know because sometimes the marketing is really the weekend oh, yeah. of the art shows. Oh yes, artists also have a rough time promoting themselves. Yeah, well, artists are artists. They're not mm -hmm. necessarily promoters and uh, marketing people. And I get that. Because I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, I think this is a great time for us to take a short break. And so, listeners, we will be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Lisa Wingate, author of Before We Were Yours, and today I've been enjoying Partnership with the Arts talk show. Hey, we are back. You're listening to Where We Talk Art, and we are talking to artist Claire Harvey. And we were just talking about a bit of her background and the type of work that she's been doing. And we just got, got back from our break. And I want to ask you a few other things about your background. You lived in Ohio, but somehow you wound up here in Northport. How did that happen? Well, my then husband um, and myself, we moved down here because of the economy. This was in 05, and things were booming down here. Okay. And uh, we moved to Port Charlotte, and so I immediately joined the art centers up and down. From sure. To Gorda, up to up to Sarasota. I didn't join in Sarasota because I didn't feel like. Um, is supported there. You know, it's a okay. big place. It's, they didn't act like they needed anyone, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, this, the Northport Art Center was still just a, a lead that met once a month at the library. That's right. There wasn't a building yet. Yeah, yeah. And I just immediately felt like I, I could do something and it could make a difference. Like I often said that I liked the feeling that I could see the ripple of my pebble. I could just toss a pebble in and see the ripples. Mm. Okay. So you became a member of the League, but then somewhere along the line, the League became the Northport Art Center. How did that happen? Uh, I give a lot of credit um, to Louise Hall, and I think it was the commissioner at the time, Fred Tower. He's passed already, but um, there was a, just the right people being supportive of wanting an art center. And I remember going to a fundraiser where, I think it was Ron Sanders, made a depiction of what we wanted our dream art center to look like. And, and um, But we found this building very affordable and 
like I said, we owe that probably to Louise Hall. She was always very good at getting out to the people that needed to hear about us. She was well-connected or yeah. just and, had a mind well, for this kind of thing? And I remember the first time I ever heard the term of describing a woman um, that, like, um, having red, red lipstick, a pit bull with red lipstick, you know, <laughs> like that kind of person. <laughs> And I thought of Louise Hall at the time because she was always dressed very nicely, always mm -hmm. had fresh lipstick on, mm -hmm. and she really didn't understand why we couldn't just get out there and push ourselves because she just did it easily. You know? She was, you know. She has that kind of personality. Yes, yes. And when she'd email me, she'd say something like, "Do contact so and so about such and such," you know, and I'd be like. Okay, I guess I got you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, every organization needs Need somebody that. like that. That's for that. sure. Okay. Now, the Northport Art Center has been here like how many years? Well, since 2007, I think it was. Um, so, do your math here. All right. So, 2007, and everything was going along just honky dory until a little while ago when. Northport Art Center gets informed by the city that there's only a couple of years yeah, in our future. We, we always knew, we always thought that we would somehow get a, a bigger building. In fact, I, I've got to say, we were growing out of this building the day we moved in. Wow. You know, the day we moved in, it was not big enough. That's why we got the pottery building. And still, we, especially artists, they need room to, to, gather their supplies even, mm -hmm. you know, and just and to exhibit. Right. And it's just the way that the economy seemed to flow that whenever we were in a position to raise money for a building, the economy would take a tank. You know, would tank. It would make it very difficult for us to afford to move into a larger place. Right. And that's been even more so just recently with the economy and Ian. You know, to mm -hmm. do that, and that was a big hurricane. Yes. Yes, and and in, COVID, <laughs> and COVID, and COVID, right? And it's been such a, an uphill struggle for maybe the past three, four years. So it's just a more dire need. We do have to get into another building. We do know that our time has run out, and um, we need another building. But <laughs> buildings haven't been this expensive. Who would have thought, you know, that they rise this high? And they seem to indicate that it's not going to change. Yes. The price of real estate just keeps on going up. The cost mm -hmm. of building keeps on going up. So mm -hmm. the North Park Arts Center Board of Directors needs to look at, well, can we acquire perhaps an existing building? Maybe somebody will donate a building yes. to the North Park Arts Center. But we can't just count on someone donating something no. to us. No. There has to be a little bit of everything, you know, and, and that's as it should be. You don't want, like, one benefactor that you become beholden to, mm. you know. We would like to prove that the community wants us and therefore supports us. Northport Arts Center does a lot for the community. That's right. And I realize we're a bedroom community, but still... Um, what is the um, population? Um, I forget what it is, 81, something like that? It's around yeah, 80,000. You know, like if... But growing quickly. It's still growing. So even if, theoretically, if everyone gave a dollar, <laughs> you know, 
That would be quite a bit of money mm-hmm. to start off with. And um, also, I just feel like if Northport and surrounding areas, we don't just serve Northport. This morning, I was asking the children from Art Camp. We had someone from Englewood. We had someone from Port Charlotte in the conversation that we're talking about. So they're not just coming from Northport. Mm-hmm. And if we can't get their financial support, then, well, not only will we not survive, but maybe people don't want an art center. They don't believe that. I, I think the problem must be something else. Mm. It must be that the word is not getting out, that they have not been approached. And we've also seen recently with... Um, Well, I'll use this moment to announce that we have just been informed that we have an anonymous benefactor who will match up to $10,000 any donations that we make between now and the end of the exhibit that's up right now. That would be wonderful to get $20,000. Yes. That would be wonderful. And that would mean that we would be raising... Is that $10,000, did I say? Yes. yes. Okay, so that we got 20000 And that would be in that short amount of time. It's a two-month period. Mm-hmm. Um, what we've noticed since we've announced that is people have been donating. I forget the amount, but it's coming along mm-hmm. in a, an encouraging amount. But um, I've been saying and hearing other people saying, that we need to ask people. We can't just assume that people understand that we need money. We know that's, that's, a, that's a given. I would say that that's true. Yes. You need to ask people directly. Yes. And, and, and people don't realize that as a nonprofit, it's a struggle. We spend our money giving back. Mm-hmm. And we do. We offer lots of free things. Uh, free Saturdays for children, free art lessons for veterans. You know, we have events that are that are not if they're not free, they're affordable. We're not exactly making money. We um, we are not in it for the big bucks, mm-hmm. which sometimes art kind of gives this illusion of you know being for the elite, those of that have money. But it's not. It's for everyone. Right. It's for the community. Right. Whenever I say we during this conversation, and I, I'm a member of the Northport Art Center, mm-hmm. so. And I have been for a number of years, so I have, right. I, have, I have to say we when I talk about the Northport Art Center. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be an exciting summer with that. I'm hoping that it might encourage some other donors to or benefactors who are willing to match. You know? mm-hmm. Even if it was uh, people challenging their friends and matching $100 for $100, and get get it going like that. Yes. Ground roots. Ground roots, on the yes. Fundraising. Because after all, I, like I'm trying to say, that the people that benefit from us need to let us know that they want us to continue. Mm-hmm. And probably a lot of them don't even know that mm-hmm. we have this timeline that's a short timeline. Yes. Yes, and it's serious. It's a difficult problem. The board of directors is really putting their heads together, trying to come up with a, a plan. Uh, and that plan has to encompass so many different things. Uh, it's a daunting, a daunting exercise and challenge. 
And then tough times for nonprofits in general. I hear a lot of nonprofits talking about that right now, like the past couple of years have been challenging. But then it doesn't mean that we still don't, that we don't need the art center. And we don't quit. And we don't quit. Yes. Is there anything else you want to say about the, this fundraiser? Um, no. What else can we speak about? Well, I, I wanted to know a little bit more information about the, the summer camp. Because I understand you, you have children that are in a variety of ages. And so mm -hmm. I don't think you work with that wide variety of ages at the same time. There's probably some way that you put them into smaller groups. Yes. Um, our, our camp um, goes from age 6 to um, 14 with a 15. Uh, we do have a student with special needs that's 15. So that happens. You know. mm -hmm. And... Um, so we've got them divided into the younger group, ages 6 to 8, and then ages 9 to 12, and then ages 13 and up. And so they're in separate rooms. And so they all come in at 9, and they all leave at 1. And um, each of the lessons are designed to be towards that age group. And that the art camp is full. It is completely full. This was every year it gets a bit uh, more successful as the word gets out. I would say um, at least 50%, close to 50% of our students have either been through the program before or had a sibling in the program before. And what usually happens is the first week, like we're going into, when parents are picking up their child, they'll say, Junior's enjoying themselves. We'd like to sign up for another week or two. Mm -hmm. And we have to tell them, sorry, we're already full. Oh. Wow. That's too bad for the children. I know. I feel it's... really bad. And and, uh, mm -hmm. and Northport's growing, and that's part of what's it going on. It is too. growing. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Listeners, Northport is one of the fastest growing communities, not only in Florida, nationwide. I know, I know. And I hear it from different sources. Uh, a while back, it was U-Haul announced us at Northport as the fastest growing city. It was about hmm. last, uh, last winter, I think. I heard. That means they have a lot of U-Haul trailers yes, yes, and yeah, trucks yeah. coming in and, and none they of would them know. going out. They <laughs> would know. <you> yes. Know? <laughs> now, do you teach any adult classes? Yes, I teach acrylic with adults. And that's my favorite medium is acrylic. Mm -hmm. It's very forgiving. I do work with water-soluble oils sometimes, but I start them with acrylics and finish them with water-soluble oils. Um, I do that when I do plain air painting, which I haven't done in a long time, but I used to organize a plain air group down in Punta Gorda, and I always recommend that to my students. It's a great way to learn. I would say that plain air not only teaches you how to paint faster, it does, but it teaches you how to see faster mm. and make better decisions. You can edit things quicker and focus on what's really important. I've done it twice, and I'm not a fast painter, and where the sun was when I started <laughs> compared to where the sun was when I ended. That's why I call it extreme different. art, because anything that will go wrong will go wrong. You'll forget a tube of paint or a paintbrush or... Uh, the ice cream truck will park right in front of what you were painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess those kinds of things can happen. 
mosquitoes. That could be another uh, Yes, I've, I've had some paintings that had a little bit of um, love bug guts in them. Oh, yes. <laughs> Those darn love bugs. They come out by the thousands when yeah, they hatch. You just stir them into the paint. <laughs> <laughs> now, with your, your adult class, is it um, run almost like an open studio where students can do whatever they want, or is it a paint-along situation? Um, over the years, I've become more and more convinced from my experience with plein air, that I would rather my students do a dozen small bad paintings than one masterpiece that never gets finished. Mm -hmm. So what I like to recommend is that we work with a limited palette, primaries that. and white, and um, minimal. Don't spend a lot of money because you're going to be making art that you might not necessarily feel satisfied with. Right. And I do like for us to do as many paint-alongs as they can tolerate. However, it's not unusual for at any paint-along for some one of the students to be off to the side painting a project that they're trying to get done personally. Mm -hmm. and, and I trust that they will call me over or make sure that I'm, they're getting the attention that they need as well. But in a paint-along, I ask them, what do you think that would be the most difficult thing to paint, besides faces, because that's a whole process. But uh, if they say, you know, the beach, glass, clouds, we'll do a, a vignette, an 8 by 10 mm -hmm. studies of that, and over and over, you know, and go home with a little panel. Um, typically, a first-time class, I have them paint an apple or some pears, just something very simple. And it's funny how even years later, some of them will say, you know, that's my husband's favorite painting. <laughs> oh, kidding. Because well, they learn the fundamentals in something simple like that. Right. And your students must learn a lot about color theory since they're working with like five or six colors. When the, they're only the... working with three colors and white. And white. Mm -hmm. We make our own browns and blacks and... Um, we use a, a traditional palette of alizarin red, sometimes mm -hmm. alizarin red crimson, if that's what, um, ultramarine blue, and cadmium yellow medium. Oh. And you can't make uh, neon colors. You can't make cerulean. You can't make uh, magenta with that. There's just some things. But once you realize the limitations of the color, you could bring any bundle of paint in, and you're still going to be limited, perhaps, with what you might come right. up with. But just understanding the limitations of your painting, what direction. The color is not as important as the value. I'd rather them worry about how light and how dark. Where does the light hit? Mm -hmm. Well, I noticed that when you talked about your, your class, you said the things that they're going to learn include X, Y, and Z. And one of those things was um, broken... Broken colors. Ah, yeah. I don't. I, that that was a new term to me. I don't um, know what that means. So if you're painting um, anything, even on a face, believe it or not, many artists feel like it has to be an even flow, blended color. Mm -hmm. But um, I like to let the color be broken. So that say like if you're painting your green shirt, the first layer might be one shade of green or one hue of green. And then another brush stroke over it might be a slightly different version of that green. 
but because that second brush stroke is broken up, there is, you see specks of the previous layer. Mm -hmm. And so once students realize that their strokes and layers don't have to be even, that they can create a very um, exciting experience for the viewer so that they're seeing colors. And it can be very minute, even, with mm. the colors there. So, uh, sometimes people who aren't necessarily fans of acrylics, they can dull compared to oils. Oils can be much more vibrant. So with the acrylics, I like this broken color because it's playing with the your, the cones and rods in your eyes more. Mm -hmm. See, when you're looking at a color, those cones and rods, they actually move. It's a visceral experience. That's why people might get nauseous if the coloring is too wrong or hmm. something. And so I would like for my viewer to get a visceral, a real response to the color. Right. And another thing, the goal that you said that they were going to work on was neutralizing color. Oh, yes. yes. So they thought, often are neutralizing why? Why? without realizing what, it. What does that even mean, neutralizing color? Well, um, color is a byproduct of light. Right? right? If it weren't for light, you wouldn't see color. And light is energy. Mm -hmm. Therefore, color is energy. And so when you paint with some colors, some colors have more energy. If it's more pure, like straight off of the rainbow, it's going to have more energy. But when you neutralize that color, and mm -hmm. you neutralize with its complementary color. Yes. So like if I'm painting a bright orange, and I've got um, paint that resembles that, and I could paint that bright orange, I'm fine and dandy. But what if I'm painting a pumpkin, and that orange is neutralized? I need to know how to neutralize the energy of that orange. And so... You need to know intuitive or immediately that you're going to be using blues. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm painting with orange, I know the blue is going to be helping me. Whenever I'm painting a red apple, I know the green is going to be helping me. Right. If I'm painting a yellow banana, I know that purple is going to be helping me. So that's what I'm talking about when I say how, how and when to neutralize your color. I see. Okay, thank you. Claire, how can people find your art online? Where, where do they go? If they go to, if they Google Claire Harvey art, all is one word. Mm -hmm. Not that it's a dot com, but that's what I tend to interject into any place that I'm listed. They could go to Fine Art America, Art Wanted, um, various sites like that. Um, I have a Claire Harvey art dot webs dot com. All right. And, um, but that's not the only place where I end up putting and Facebook, you know. Oh, so you have the Facebook page, but you also post your mm -hmm. art. Mm -hmm. Claire Harvey. So. Okay. Good to know. Mm -hmm. Very good. Now, if somebody wants to sign up for your class, I mean, imagine all you have to do is go to www.northportartcenter.org. Yes. And when the season comes back, I'll be doing my adult classes um, after Labor Day. And it will be available, of course, on the website. Claire, is there anything else that uh, you want to bring up that perhaps I have failed to ask I always about? say that um, the Art Center hours may be specific on the door. But if there's a car in the parking lot and the door hasn't been locked yet, you're welcome. Oh, all right. <laughs>
there's a certain informality here. Yes, there is. And a very welcoming art center. <laughs> All right. Well, the mission of the Northport Art Center is to ignite excitement for the arts, promote cultural development, and encourage self-expression through art, ex art exhibition and education. The Northport Arts Center has a nice webpage at www.northportartcenter.org and it has information about classes and workshops, directions how to get there, how to become a member, and members pay less for attending classes and workshops than, than people non-members, so it's a good way to save some money. I also urge you to join the email list so you can get the newsletter and find out what's going on at the Art Center. So. I thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Claire Harvey, for being our guest You're for today. So it was a joy to talk to you. Thank, thank you very you. much. And listeners, please tell your friends about where we talk art. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Partnership for the Arts talk show. 